Welcome everybody to another episode of the Nerd Continuity where we talk about design development and all the other nerdy stuff that we find online and oh boy I found a nerdy person online probably <laughs> the nerdiest of us all his name is Mike he's a self-taught developer that decided to learn development in his study but he's gonna tell us his story in, in a way better way that I, I could say this episode is brought to you by SkySilk SkySilk is a cloud platform services management where you can have a free VPS online with Linux you can use it boot it up put on whatever you you need to do I pay zero dollars so it's great for development but we're gonna talk about SkySilk later down the episode right now let's focus on our amazing guest hello Mike hello <laughs> how great you doing oh very well thank you I'm pretty a little warm it's a little it's a bit like a sauna in here yes it's, I think it's fucking hot <laughs> by Vancouver standards especially it's it's incredible yes we are in this like little room and i close the windows because outside there's a kid park a kid's park so it's always noisy and it's terrible for recording but in some during summer you just like lose i don't know 20 pounds during Perfect. an episode so that's why that's why you're here right to lose exactly, exactly. <laughs> sweat it out exactly. okay let's jump right into it why your story is so interesting and why i wanted i decided to interview you because that like a lot of my audience and a lot of people that listen to this podcast and they watch my videos, they almost have the same thought and the same question that you had almost a year ago. They start, they're probably not satisfied with their own job or they do something development related, but they are 27 plus and then almost 30. Sometimes I have almost like also people 40 plus years old that they think I wanna change job, I wanna learn programming. Is it too late for me? Is it too, I'm too old? It's gonna be too complicated, what should I do? So let's start with your background. Who are you? What did you study? What kind of work did you do before deciding to jump into development? Okay, so originally, academically, I was kind of a humanities and languages guy. Uh, I studied history, uh, I did some graduate research and uh, language study in Asia, I lived in Asia for quite a while. I did some marketing work while I was over there. Um, and then coming back to Canada, I started working in education, uh, which is quite a nice field too and I quite enjoy. Um, but I guess it didn't always satisfy my, my nerd impulses <laughs> as much as I would have liked. Nice. Have you always been a nerd or that started like recently? Yeah. In terms of like computer oh. and technology and stuff like that, you were always interested in those mm. things? I guess when I was younger, like many people, I toyed around a bit with some very basic technologies like HTML, Photoshop, mm -hmm. all these sort of things, right? But definitely not a nerd in the technological sense, more a nerd in the curious sense. I like learning interesting things, right? Nice. And yeah. that I think that definitely lends itself to uh, tech and computer science and all of that. Yeah. So you were... You lived in, in China, you, you, you lived in Asia for a while, and then you, you were teaching uh, at a language school. When, when that happened, do you, do you recall the day where you decided, fuck this, I'm going to just start coding, I'm going to learn coding? Um, I, you know, I think it was, I don't think there was any one day. I had this thing in the back of my mind. I mean, I guess the same kind of impulse that made me want to learn Chinese with a similar kind of impulse that would make you want to learn like a, a programming <laughs> Yeah, it's language, pretty similar. Right? Right? <laughs> programming way, in Chinese is really... Well, in <laughs> some ways, right? It's sort of these esoteric kind of mysterious means of communication. I don't know, it kind of drew me in. So I always had this kind of thing in the back of my mind on and off that, it, you know, just struck me as kind of interesting. And then I started toying around with uh, um, Code Academy, 
Oh, yeah. Code Academy learning. I think I played with Python a little bit, learned a little bit of that. Very difficult. Didn't really know what the hell I was doing, but it was still, there was that spark of passion and interest still. And then, you know, a little bit maybe bored or unsatisfied with the day jobs I was doing. So I got yeah. more and more into it. And then I started considering it seriously from a career perspective. Nice. Interesting. So these kind of like next question comes directly from uh, one of the audience, a member of our audience, that it's really interested in your story and it ties perfectly to the previous question. So his question, his name is Ricardo on Twitter at RickVegaMX. And his question is, what was the trigger to switch to programming instead of anything else? Because he knows and he has a lot of friends that they're in your situation. They are like tired of their job, not satisfied, but they switch to other things and they never actually consider programming. So why did you pick programming instead of with your skills and your uh, knowledge of the, the Chinese language? Why did you actually pick programming? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. I think there's a couple of factors that really drew me in. One major factor was the creative potential. I love mm -hmm. the idea that you can create your own things, right? Nice. Um, yeah. No matter what you're interested in, you can explore that through app development or whatever else. You know, the, as the saying goes, there's an app for that, right? So, yeah, that's yeah, true. Right? <laughs> so anything you have, any interest in, any hobby you have, that could be your focus as a developer, right? Um, so the creative potential is really big for me. Also, uh, I wanted something career-wise that I could kind of really throw myself into, not just like a nine-to-five job, but something that I could throw myself into and kind of obsess over, but in a very enjoyable, satisfying way. Uh, and, uh, you know, something that I could maybe combine my own interest in mm -hmm. in a hobby sort of sense, right? So if you're doing something as a day job and you're learning great skills, that could really help you pursuing your own interests and hobbies on the side. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't always have to make apps for commercial purposes. That's right? true. You could be doing things that are just interesting to you. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, just the, the curiosity. I mean, it's a infinitely gigantic field, right? Yes, Computer science, is. tech and all that. If you want to, you can learn, you know, to program down to the metal and you have to learn about physics and yeah. electronic engineering. Like it never ends, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you're a curious person, this is a very good field for you. That's true. And I would have to say the third part, the third thing that really attracted me, I could probably go on forever, but at least go, these, go these on, are the major like factors. But yeah, the third plenty thing, of time. <laughs> I think I would describe myself as a kind of a feral cat, an outside cat. I'm not a, you know, like I, I don't like structure, too much structure in the sense of like a, a very structured kind of corporate job, hmm. very uh, structured institutions where you have to jump through the hoops and get certain certifications and work in an office nine to five. I really, that, you know, it just does not jive with my personality. So I love the relative anarchy of tech. That's that's a good way of putting there, it. It, it really is a, a kind of beautiful anarchy in yeah. that you can figure out what do you want to study? What are you interested in? You go and learn it and you can probably get a job that's related to that, right? Yes, yeah, true. Um, companies coming and going at the drop of a hat. It, it, it's anarchy, but it's very kind of productive anarchy, I think. And there's a lot of opportunity if you're interested in that kind of environment. Uh, and if you're interested in escaping the kind of the typical nine to five corporate grind. Yeah. Certainly that does exist in tech, but there's also a lot of other kinds of job opportunities. Yeah, exactly. And as you said, like programming, even if I don't, 
I don't know when it like people started considering programming and developers like creative people. Like always it was like, okay, the designer is the creative and then the programmer is the logical mind. It's like zero creativity, but also to code something, you need to be creative to solve problems. You cannot just copy paste always the same code. You need to be creative in solving problems. So I think like we're switching, our environment is switching from a more regular nine to five job to something that allows developers to stretch their mind and flex their muscles and sometimes you have the peak of creativity is like 2 a.m and in like at 10 a.m in the morning in the office you're just a like dead brain and it's just like you cannot do anything so oh, yeah I, honestly you're taking the words out of my mouth i mean yeah. i that's what i dislike about the typical kind of nine to five corporate setup well you know what maybe i want to nap now maybe i'm tired now maybe, true, maybe yeah. i'm not going to be productive now right that's true absolutely. so maybe it would be better if i could just sleep for an hour and then get back to work on my own schedule exactly. that to me is much more rational right absolutely absolutely and it's also like a sort of healthier way of right. living right yeah, yeah. you're not stressed constantly hate yeah. everyone hate your boss um so you touched upon that and i want to just like dive deep a little bit more into that aspect of learning something so learning programming you said that the environment is basically infinite like so many possibilities just like fucking overwhelming so yes especially when you start when you never had anything like that before you start how did you decide where to go you said you started with python and then you switched and now you do like basically old javascript related stuff how overwhelming was at the beginning and what helped you to decide which path to take yeah, I think the the main factors there, uh, I guess it comes back to the question, well, what do you actually want to build, right? Um, if you know roughly what you want to build, that can kind of dictate your language choices. Do you want to do iOS apps? Do you want to do Android apps? Do you want to do websites or whatever, right? Uh, so I guess at the time I was most interested in working on front-end web development, frankly, because I didn't really know what back-end web development was. All, all I really knew, like... That's great. Yeah, That's like, yeah, I kind of knew, uh, yeah, I guess there's like websites and I only knew what I could really see on the yeah. website, which is like HTML. I didn't even really understand what JavaScript was doing exactly, um, to be honest, yeah. So no one knows. Like, <laughs> I, I I don't either. It's funny. It was the a mystery fuck to is me. JavaScript yeah. doing. Yeah. I don't know. I could get the CSS and the HTML part, but it was a while before I figured out the JavaScript part. But anyways, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I guess that dictated my choice. I thought, well, I want to make, I was interested in like humanities kind of stuff and I wanted to make really cool uh, apps related to history and languages and these sort of things. And they would be very visual. So the best medium would probably be front-end web development for my interests. And then obviously if you want to do front-end web development, pretty much the one language to choose right now is JavaScript. Yes. May change in the future, but right now it's JavaScript, right? So yeah. that's what really got me onto JavaScript. And then once I started studying JavaScript, it opened up this whole world of, uh, you know, servers. What the hell is that? Express, databases, everything else, right? And then I figured out, hmm, full stack is also very interesting and it's probably a good idea career-wise to be learning the back end too. Yeah. So that's how I moved into full stack web development. Then from that, uh, you start hearing of this concept of DevOps huh. with yes. uh, Amazon Web Services and all these yes. other things, right? And that's a whole other world, which is also very interesting. So it's one thing leads to another, I guess. Yes, exactly. And speaking about DevOps, this tied perfectly into the sponsor of this episode, which is <laughs> SkySilk. <laughs> they offer like a free VPS online where you can run Linux, you can install Ubuntu, you can install uh, CentOS or whatever other distribution related to Linux, or you can install a fully formed uh, CMS platform. It's just like one click install. And they have this offer where you have uh, an access to a free VPS forever. 
And when they go out of beta, you're gonna get 25% off a discount of whatever VPS for, for the rest of your life. And uh, use that you used, you're starting using AWS. Have you ever used like DigitalOcean or Heroku or stuff like that? Heroku is when I started with, and I've uh, played around with DigitalOcean a bit, yeah. but at the time I was already getting into AWS and that's like a, a whole field of study in itself. So exactly. I'm sort of sticking and with that for now. That's one of like the main issues with like new developers, someone that is just starting to play with DevOps and starting to play with a server online. AWS is fucking overwhelming. There's <laughs> so many things to do. Instead, you need, when you're studying and when you're starting to play around with these toys or these servers, you need something super simple that you can, with a couple of click, boot up, have an SSH access and install all the things that you need to continue your study. So skysilk.com is the answer to all your questions because it's really easy to use. They have an amazing support. They have a Discord app where they answer to all the questions that you could have. So definitely check skyseal.com and get that free VPS offer until it lasts. That's it. That was an amazing, amazing plug from our <laughs> awesome sponsor. Um, let's continue talking about your learning process. What was the biggest difficulty, if it was just one or multiple, like the hardest things and the biggest challenges that you probably still have or you had, but what was the thing that probably made you doubt about your ability to actually do this? Um, it's probably running into problems when you're building apps because you're learning in isolation if you're a self-taught person, right? Yes. Uh, so when you run into these bugs, when I first started learning, I found that very discouraging because I hadn't yet realized that that basically is web development. The process of like that, that is <laughs> Write, the whole writing thing, bugs. Right? <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, well, yeah. Writing bugs. The whole thing is basically constantly asking and trying to answer the question, why isn't my app working? Right? Yeah. So when you first start learning, you don't realize that that's the norm and you think, oh, I'm really bad at this. <laughs> no, that's just what this is. That's that's the whole job, right? That's so true. I think that was the most discouraging thing, but that's really helpful too because it forces you to figure out how to solve problems in isolation, stack overflow, reading the docs, um, you know, even at like a, the, the appropriate Reddit, subreddit, there might be people who could help you mm -hmm. for a given technology, right? Yeah, great. And um, continuing on that, what is like, which resources did you find immediately and we from all the resources that you started like using online which one are in your opinion like the best and the most valuable and the one that are not like confusing or like expensive and mm -hmm. stupid yeah so i started off my first uh foray into the field was code academy which is a good place to start and mm -hmm. then i moved on to free code camp which is a good place to start for javascript yeah um but ultimately I mean, I think these guys should be paying me because I'm always plugging them, but ultimately... <laughs> yeah, we're going we can, we can to do that. <laughs> the, the service or the platform that I, that I ended up relying on, and I still do, is udemy.com. Yeah. It's paid. I mean, you're paying about, say, Canadian dollars, $15, I think the US is closer to 10 12 something uh, for a course, but I found it extremely helpful. You can get like 20 or 30 hour courses on one topic by yeah. a pretty decent instructor, and that is huge. Actually watching them code in their own IDE so mm -hmm. you can see how it's done and watching them set up an environment so you yeah. can set up your own proper web development environment that has been so helpful and I mean yeah even today like this morning before I came here I was watching a Udemy course so that's <laughs> definitely my that's your Netflix one. yeah that's my Netflix that's my number one recommendation I find it extremely helpful and it's worth the investment so I have an embarrassingly large amount of Udemy courses that I've bought but when I think about the amount of money I spent on those courses compared to what you'd spend on a formal education, it's nothing. True. It's absolutely nothing. It's like, you know, uh, lunch money. So yeah. it's, it's definitely worth the investment in my opinion. That's true, definitely. Uh, so 
learning by yourself it's basically it's 100% doable on this day and age like the plethora of resources that you have online you can find for free on YouTube or you pay just a like few dollars on Udemy and you have like full access all these amazing courses and Mm -hmm. there are like a bunch of I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of websites that they offer similar things so it's just a matter of what you want Uh, did you ever find yourself thinking I would really love to have a mentor or I probably I should go to like a a class or a course just so I can talk with the teacher I have some question that I cannot find the answer by myself just watching these classes Uh, definitely I mean there's been times when I have got really caught up in certain questions and I hadn't really taken the route of finding a mentor. Uh, I don't really know why, but basically I would just try to use Stack Overflow or ask the, if you done yeah. it, you can ask the instructor questions too, right? Oh yeah. Nice. But I mean, to answer that question, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to get an actual job, right? Because yeah. you get up to a certain point and it's like, okay, I really need some professional mentoring after this point because that's I'm true. not, you know, I can't just keep going at it myself and hoping I'm doing it correctly or whatever else, right? You need to actually see how it's done by a professional in production and get actual feedback on your code. So that's something that I think is indispensable at yeah. least once you get to a certain point, right? Yeah, definitely. You need validation. You need someone that actually reviews your thing that probably you're doing things properly, like you're doing stuff right, but there's maybe 20 different methods that you could use that are more efficient than the method that you use and the results is identical, but it's always better to like, yeah, having um, someone to relate to or just someone to speak and just like download all your ideas and just like release everything that is in your mind and speaking with someone. So even if self-teaching yourself and learning everything online is great, you still need, sometimes you should, and that's an advice that I would like to give, is like you should find someone where you you could talk programming or Mm -hmm. maybe someone that is more skilled than you and not at your same level otherwise you're going to be stuck on the same questions and you're going to find the wrong answers but someone that it could give you some like random advice even if it doesn't give you the proper answers it can tell you yes this is a proper solution or no you should check this other website you should check this other class someone that can give you some advice um have you ever thought of jumping on like meetups or uh, uh, some other like gathering of development developers that are in your area or you never attended those? I'm very interested in that, but unfortunately my uh, previous job, the hours conflicted with most of the meetup times in yeah. Vancouver. So it was you know not possible, right? Yeah, that's true. But actually to, to go with what you were saying, I know that the advice you just gave is right because what I find is that as I learn more and I go back and I look at my uh, former programs or the apps I was working on before, I constantly find tons and tons of major problems that didn't stop the app from working, but they were still big problems, right? Like they, they were killing performance or whatever else or security. Oh God, like security just out the window, but you don't realize that because your app still works and you're not experienced enough to figure it out yourself until you learn more. And then you go back and look again. So quite clearly, if at the time I had someone who was more experienced, they would have pointed those problems out right away. Yeah. Like, Oh, you're exposing your most sensitive data to anyone on the internet or, uh, yeah, your performance is janky as hell, and there's a very you know clear and fixable reason for that, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, there's a saying that I actually I saw a tweet about it. Some someone else, like some, a guy tweeted, like if you look at your code that you wrote like six months ago, it's probably 100% of the time it's gonna be written by someone else, or it looks like it <laughs> yeah. was written by someone else. And people started answering underneath, like let's say three months ago, let's say two months ago, let's say two weeks ago. <laughs> 
and it's normal like yeah. all these uh, there's so much to learn every day and even if you do the same thing over and over again the technology evolves so fast that you still have to learn every day new things and what you coded a month ago now probably it's completely wrong or you can redo it with like a new technology or like half of the line of codes and there are like new security flaws and mm. new performance issues and all this kind of stuff so yeah it's important to have someone that maybe just looks at your code and um gives you some advice uh when did you start using uh version control system when did you start using git and uploading your code online publicly visible i think i was first introduced to the concept of git through uh free code camp or mm -hmm. yeah free code camp but then i didn't really start learning it until i was doing full stack udemy courses where they were teaching you how to do version control as you code so that was very valuable um and even then because i was coding by myself i didn't really get in the habit of doing the very sophisticated correct methods for version control because you're not working with a team really yeah. version control gets complex when you're having to work with other people right yeah so even now that's something i'm starting to brush up on a bit more how to properly do version control in that team context yeah, you were just like committing to one master Commit branch. Everything. <laughs> everything, all yes. together. All together. 200 files, one commit. Yes. All together, same branch. Yes. It's okay. We like the commit message done. Yes. <laughs> so like, this doesn't work, period. Yeah. Great, like so useful. <laughs> and yet, I had one incident during my studying, that my period of study where my laptop got fried. I spilled liquid on my laptop and version control absolutely saved my life. I would yes. have lost all of my portfolio work for the past like year if oh I had not God. been using Git. So that's a very you know good example of how version control can really save you. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's not just like to keep track of code and just like to have your history of commits and just really code collaborate. It's mostly like saves your ass with yes. a massive backup that you should do at the end of every day. Like I know a lot of developers that they don't commit or they don't push to Git if the code is not right. Mm. Like, oh, I, I'm working on this feature. This feature is not done yet, so I'm not going to push it. Mm -hmm. Every day when you stop working before going to bed, before turning off your computer, just push to Git. Put, push to a stupid branch that you can name it, work in progress. Oh, or, yeah again hashtag broken whatever <laughs> but push to get because you don't know if tomorrow morning your computer is gonna start <laughs> it's yes. gonna just turn on so it's like it's really sketchy always always push to get especially if you drink beer near your computer because that can get out of hand very quickly. <laughs> yeah you get really handsy when you, <laughs> when you drink beer yeah um is like programming in beer a good combination or programming and alcohol? Oh, God, no. God, no. In my opinion. Oh, oh God, no. Programming is the ultimate uh, insurance of sobriety because it, for me, even after like one year, my work ethic drops to the point where I don't want to work on those difficult problems anymore, right? Uh, you need a lot of motivation and energy to take those really nasty problems and spend an hour or two hours or two days trying to figure them out. And for me, that does not mix with beer. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> I totally agree. Uh, okay, so you had this almost year-long self-teaching uh, process where you started like learning the basics, then you identified what you wanted to build, what you liked, and you start trying and building your portfolio. You you use different technologies, you improve the more the more you were going on, and then finally you decided to apply for some jobs, from mm -hmm. some job offers. Like, when did you decide or when did you feel yourself that you were ready to apply for jobs? And do you still think that you're ready or do you still have self-doubts? It's like, oh shit, it's too early. 
Well, I mean, I think there's no such thing as ready unless you're like a senior developer, in my opinion, I right? Know. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no one's there. No, no. No, I, I, I can guarantee I'm not ready. Like, well, yeah, to exactly. do anything. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, I feel like in this industry, it's like you're either an expert or you're not good enough yet, because it's, you know, <laughs> or you or you create your own language, yeah. or you're not good enough. <laughs> right, right. So I think it's kind of a a bit of a it's a tricky question to deal with. But for me, my rough standard was like, okay, I want to have a portfolio up on the internet that looks decent and has at least say going for five or six fairly complex full stack apps. That was my own goal. And those apps should be pretty original, not, you know, ripped off of a course. Of course you could use like some course projects as templates that you change and build on in a very significant way. I think that's reasonable enough. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, generally I was going for that as a rough target, like five or six complex full stack apps. Um, And also I had done a reasonable amount of study on algorithms oh assuming that that could be on the interviews right yeah and i think that actually was very helpful i didn't end up doing technical interviews that were straight algorithms but i think that did help me answer some interview questions where i had to build things that involved you know doing the kind of thing you would do in an algorithm problem maybe like manipulating data whatever else right um yeah so that was the point i got to and i felt like you know, as I said, you're never really ready, but it was reasonable enough to start applying for junior jobs. Nice. And when I say junior jobs, I mean everything because there are no junior jobs. So you just have to apply for, you know, when they're asking for five years experience, you still apply, whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so like a lot of users that they ask me, like, I really want this job and all the list of requirements and what they ask, but then they always have like, you have to have like a master degree in a technical or related fields and you have to have like five plus years of experience. Would you say these are like bullshit, just like apply, it doesn't matter? Yeah, I'd say the job advertisements are like the wish list. The company's like, oh, that would be great if we got a person with a master's degree from Harvard who has, you know, worked in Silicon Valley for 10 years and blah, 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 right? But it doesn't matter. You just apply within reason. Like, you know, (laughs) if the advertisement has nothing in it that you know how to do, okay, this might be a bit of a stretch. But if you have like 50% of the the tools and the skills that they're looking for and maybe not enough experience is still worth throwing out an application because frankly, throwing out an application takes two minutes. Yeah. And you know, it's really a numbers game, right? The more you apply for, the larger your chance of getting an interview. So it doesn't hurt to apply widely. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. And I ended up, I, uh, maybe it's too early in the interview, but I ended up getting a position that I definitely was underqualified for based on the advertisement. Right. And I think that's a pretty normal thing for a lot of people. Yeah. when they're getting their first jobs. Yeah, nice. So how was your first experience as a technical interview? Like you never did something like that before, right? Like never had an experience similar to this. Yeah, the, the technical interviews actually, uh, I was pretty lucky because they weren't those kind of classic interviews that you hear about where it's in person, in the office, on the whiteboard. That sounds like a nightmare to me, right? So Solve these algorithms. Yeah. What? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I was trying to prepare for that, but still yeah. I did not like the prospect of doing that. Anyways, yeah. the ones that I actually did were assignments that were sent to me and I completed them on my own computer or on a website or whatever, right? And that's, you know, much more comfortable for me. It's also, I think, much more realistic because real developers don't use whiteboards, right? You're actually solving the problem with Google half the time and that's what you're (laughs) able to do with these kind of interview style questions, right? So I found it not too bad. Some of them I did well on, some of them I didn't do well on. Uh, but much less daunting than whatever I, I imagined it would be. Oh, yes. It's always like you always think about like the worst possible yeah. scenario and then like people are super chill and it's fine. It's also funny that a lot of users, they ask me like, okay, I went and I did a technical interview and they asked me like a really complicated app or a really complicated to solve a complicated algorithm. And then I got the job. Uh, like 
am I gonna do this every day? Am I gonna start like working on just these complicated things every day? I'm not prepared for it. And like the answer is like no. They just like those are random exercises. You're probably your first task is gonna fix a CSS rollover of a button. That's yeah, gonna be yeah. like your first actual job. It's like no, fix this table. That's it. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the 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 complexity of the interview. It's actually what you're gonna work on like full time on every day. Um, what did you learn during the interview? Did you learn something about yourself? Did you learn something about how to interact with people and how to talk with other developers for the first time, especially it was a remote interview, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess, it, you know, based on my experience, what I can tell, as Alex said, they're asking really complex questions, but not necessarily because they expect you to actually ace all of these questions. It's more like to gauge your level, right? Like, mm-hmm. are you a, a senior guru, right? Yeah. So they'll ask you those kind of questions. And if you fumble over the questions, it's kind of okay because they, they weren't necessarily expecting you to nail them anyways, right? But at least it gives them a, a way to gauge roughly where you are in terms of experience and knowledge, right? So for the job I ended up getting on some of those interview questions, I totally bumbled through some of those questions and it was okay. It was like, yeah, I, I don't really know this technology <laughs> that you're talking about or my, you know, I can use technology X, but my understanding of it isn't that deep. Yeah. I'll give you one classic example. Um, for a lot of the tools that I'd been studying, like different frameworks or whatever, I knew how to use them, but my knowledge and experience isn't so deep that I could, you know, in, in a very intelligent way, describe the pros and cons of using this technology compared to another technology, right? Yeah. So that's the kind of question I fumbled over continuously in that interview. And it was it was kind of okay because I understood <laughs> like, you know, that was my level. I could use it, but don't expect me to give you a really intelligent analysis of why to use it, right? That's true, that's true. And it's mostly like, up to the interviewer ability to understand first like they have your resume so they should know your skill yeah. level like mm-hmm. if they start asking too complicated questions they 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 pretend they expect that perfect answer like a senior level developer like fuck that it's like they have no idea what you're doing i guess the one piece of advice i would give continuing with that is that uh, before the interview if you know you're going to be interviewed on a certain range of technologies, it mm-hmm. would be good, aside from just knowing how to use them, maybe do a little bit of background reading and be able to articulate why you should, why use them and why are they better than comparable technologies? Because that would, that would have helped me a lot, I think. On the yeah, interview. that's yeah. good. That's a good advice. Uh, were you interviewed by technical people or like marketing people? Uh, the first interview was totally technical. It was four developers and then a, a fifth kind of managerial person. I don't think think he's a developer mm-hmm. um yeah so the four uh technical interviewers were asking all programming questions basically nice. right but yeah. i think they were pretty merciful they weren't asking you know <laughs> merciful. yeah they, they weren't they weren't trying to dig into really deep crazy you know computer science algorithm kind of questions they were really asking questions about the actual tools that are being used on the job which i think is pretty fair right yeah absolutely like who cares about other stuff like that you have to know and you have to feel like slightly comfortable through the things that are, you're going to actually use when you start working right so that's mm-hmm. the important part Okay, so you're you got hired. They gave you an offer and you accepted and that happened. Yes. Right? <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I know. Like I'm 
I know I, I thought I'd be more excited, but I think it's just so crazy that I don't have time to be excited. You know, like <laughs> now I'm just true, like, oh god, yeah. I got to prepare to now do this job. Now you have to right? learn more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong, I'm very happy. Yeah, but, yeah. But it's uh, this is just the beginning. Yes, that's the feeling. It's like okay, so I've now qualified for the marathon, uh, and now, and now <laughs> it begins. Right? Now I have to train yeah. for the full run. <laughs> right. uh, when uh, so you got you got your job offer like a week ago. When did you start programming JavaScript? Let's say. Oh. Um, okay, I started, you know, it's probably been over a year since I started slowly tinkering with programming in general, like with Python or whatever. It's probably been almost just a, exactly a year, or maybe that's not fair, like a bit over a year uh -huh. since I started doing JavaScript. But I've got to say, in terms of time, talking in terms of years isn't always the most helpful or meaningful for other people because true. the question is hours, right? It's like... That's true. Studying for a year for two hours a week is a lot different than studying for a year for 60 hours a week, right? So it, that's, that's the, the real issue there. Yeah, it's true. So tell me about it. How was your schedule? How was your self-studying schedule? How many hours did you study per day? Mm -hmm. And did you ever like feel like burnout and dying <laughs> almost? <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I, I, I was very fortunate. I was able basically to scale down my work so that... When I first started playing around with programming, I could barely do anything, like only a couple hours a week because I was so busy with my job. Mm -hmm. And then once I really committed myself to trying to make this work as a career, I started kind of scaling down a bit and I was able to do that. Not everyone can do that, so I was quite fortunate, right? Yeah. So at first it was very limited and I couldn't make much fast progress at like four or five hours a week. And then after that, I got my work schedule to the point where um, maybe I was only working like 35 hours a week or something like that. And then I could use the other... Uh, waking hours to obsess over programming so I could get my work level up to maybe you know 15 20 hours a week or something because I would wow. just spend the whole weekend doing it like I was going for it like there's no you can't like if you commit to doing it you That's can't true. expect to have a life and work and learn programming sorry you're just gonna have to make some temporary <laughs> sacrifices some right? through here yeah <laughs> um, so basically I got to the point where I was maybe working 35 hours but you got to keep in mind working 35 hours also requires uh, transit time and you know fatigue because you're using the best hours and your, your energy of the day to do your day job so it yeah. doesn't mean you can actually fruitfully use all of your other hours to program it's not realistic right yeah. uh, unless you're just more disciplined than I am I don't know so anyways maybe I could do like 15 to 20 hours a week on that kind of schedule but even then I felt like oh man I'm not you know putting as much time into achieving this goal as I want to I'm, mm -hmm. not, I'm not getting the best of my day's energy and putting it into programming right yeah. so Fortunately, for the last, say, six months or so, I was able to get my work schedule down to the point where I was only working like 20, 20 something hours a week. Mm. And then I could really start making progress, like pouring at least 40 hours a week into programming. Wow. So then at that point, you're basically like on a full time programming schedule. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and again, like no life and poor as hell because you're working 20 something hours. And, you know, again, very fortunate. A lot of people can't necessarily make that work where you can only be doing 20 hours a week and surviving. It depends a lot on yeah. where you're living, what you're, what job you're doing, whatever, right? Um, but long story short, I wouldn't really think of things in terms of, oh, I learned in a year or I learned in two years. It's more like how many hours did you put in? That's what's going to make good, the difference. Yeah. So you've got, when you're thinking about self-teaching or self-learning programming, you, you have to consider how many hours will I be able to commit? And that's going to determine how long this path is going to be. Yeah, that's a really good point. Absolutely. And just to be clear, you were by yourself, like you, you were working, pay your rent and yes. like living by yourself. You weren't living by, with your parents. No, like yeah. no one was paying for everything. Exactly. For anything. Yeah. So poor as hell like just paying the rent and like being really poor for a year and like scraping by to pay the bills but for me it was a worthwhile investment because when you think about it i got a job that 
most computer science graduates would be happy to get. Yeah. And what did they invest, right? Four years of opportunity cost mm-hmm. and God knows how much intuition oh without God, the ability yeah. to work. So how are they paying for their living expenses? So for me, that year of programming uh, was a sacrifice, but it was a pretty good deal really to get the kind of job that I got. I think it was very worthwhile. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no complaints. And frankly, it shouldn't feel like too much of a sacrifice if you like the field enough. And it That's didn't true. feel like I felt like it was, you know, obviously frustrating and difficult much of the time, but overall interesting and satisfying. And if you don't feel that way, it's probably not worth your while doing it because you're going to have to really be investing a lot of time to get yeah. up to the point where you're actually competent, right? Yeah, exactly. And thinking that you have to do that pretty much every day for the rest of your life. Right. If, if yeah. you don't love it to the point that I just don't want to sleep, I want to achieve this goal and just yeah. want to do it. Fuck the, the, the fuck dinner. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like, care. I'm going to skip breakfast today and just like, right. do it. Especially yeah. as a self-taught person, right? You've got to realize an employer is looking at 10 computer science graduates. Why the hell would they pick you, right? Yeah. It better be because you've pushed yourself to be very competent in the tools that the company's actually using. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's not going to happen. And then also, in order to compete with those guys who have a hopefully have a very solid background in the science of computers, you're going to have to put in a lot of time when you're not working, your own time, right? So That's even true. once I get this developer job, I'm still not going to have a life for a while, which is fine because I kind of enjoy this life. I like learning this stuff, right? Um, but that's the mindset that you have to have. You have to be be willing to put in a reasonable sacrifice to catch yourself up to people who have a much more formal background. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's funny that uh, Sabrina, my girlfriend, like she doesn't really understand this, which is funny. Like she knows that I, I love doing this thing, but she doesn't understand that after we go out with our friends and like we go out for dinner, when we come back, it's like 11 p.m., and she goes to bed, I'm like, I'm going to spend a couple of hours at the computer just like coding mm. or learning new stuff, even if tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up at 8 and code the entire day. Right. But it's something that you have to do, especially in our field. You have to constantly, there's never a point where, okay, I'm done. I'm arrived. I will do this for the rest of my life. It's not not, not carpentry right. or like auto, auto mechanic. It's something that you constantly have to improve your skills and constantly learn new stuff otherwise you're behind and yeah there are as you said so many other people that can replace you so you 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 have to have something more compared to the the competition uh we already touched upon the all the advice like throughout this interview you gave a lot of really good advice for people that they want to do the same thing that you did well yeah but, let's see if i still have my job in two weeks and we'll, we'll determine <laughs> if it's good advice at that point <laughs> we're gonna interview you again it's yeah. like no don't do that yeah <laughs> oh guys i'm sorry <laughs> that was so wrong uh but if you could uh sometimes i ask this question with your it's, it's a really stupid question but if you could meet yourself a year ago a couple of years ago when you just started thinking about this this thing like what are the suggestions would you would give to yourself and what are the same suggestions that you would give to someone that it's in your situation like a year ago someone that has a job and is not satisfied wants to change and wants to learn programming and is not super young uh yeah my advice to that person would be one it's entirely doable it is doable two it is not easy so yeah you can do it but you better be pretty obsessed you better be you know like a semi-obsessive person or else it's probably not worth it and it may not work out for you right so entirely doable but it's not a walk in the park and you have to think about it realistically in financial terms and all you know a lot of it comes down to time effort and money yeah do you have the time do you have the money to support yourself while learning 
And do you have the passion to push, to, you know, to push yourself and, you know, allow you to apply the necessary effort, right? So for me, those are the three big factors. If you have those three things and you have an average, you know, adult intelligence level, and I'm not, I'm, you know, like seriously, I'm not a, an expert on learning disabilities or whatever, but I think for a normal person mm-hmm. uh, who has those three factors in place, it's entirely doable, but you have to be kind of obsessive about it. Yeah. And you probably need to have some kind of passion to push you through. Hopefully you're excited about building your own projects because really that's something that will help you once you're even in the job, I think, working mm-hmm. on your own projects on the side so that it doesn't feel like a chore. Yeah. You know, you actually want to be a crazy inventor and build some crazy robotics or IoT or whatever the hell you want to do. But you need something to excite you and keep you going, right? Yeah, exactly. 100%. Um, so I think we're almost at the end of the interview. You told me you have a bunch of questions that you wanted to ask. You want to chat about those sure or yeah, we have time yeah absolutely okay of time so as you may have gathered by now i've been learning full stack development which is a, a huge undertaking because web development in 2018 is nuts it's so much it is so so much <laughs> even insane. even just front end or even just back end or even yeah. just devops it's just all nuts right so uh one thing i've heard more and more you know poking around on the internet uh, is this idea that full stack development is some kind of illusion or delusion or mistake and that i realistically you should only focus on one or the other you should focus on being an expert in the back end or focus on being an expert in the front end because otherwise the metaphor i heard was that if you try to be full stack you're going to end up like some kind of uh uh reno guy who does shitty tiling and also shitty plumbing and also shitty electrical but he's not good at any of those things Uh, what do you think about this this idea Uh, oh my god (laughs) Yeah, I heard about this like many, many times and they told me this a lot in the past years when I wanted to be a full stack. Like whenever like, okay, yes, I know how to do front end. I know how to do back end. I know how to do DevOps. I know like how to manage a database. I know to like all this type of stuff. And whenever I said, oh, I know also design, everyone assumed that I was like, oh, you probably like really average in everything mm. and you're never like really specialized. Uh, first, you shouldn't do full stack as soon as you start. When you start, yes, you should focus on one thing. You should pick something. The problem is that in this day and age, you have to do, you will end up doing full stack anyway, because mm. even if you, for example, you take React, if you want to publish a website, you are going to build a React app and then you're going to use probably Apollo to connect to GraphQL. So you're going to interact with the database and then you're going to use Meteor if you want. And then you're going to deploy somewhere to a server. So even if you're by yourself and you want to do just front end with React, you will slightly touch upon a little bit of backend, a little bit of DevOps, a little bit of deployment, integration, and all this kind of stuff. So the more websites you do, the more projects you do, the more knowledgeable you will get in other fields that are not yours. And you will turn into a full stack developer at the end of the day, right. which is, it's amazing. It's good. Like I hate having a developer, honestly, like I hate someone that I just do front end. And if I ask you, okay, can you push to Git or like, can you activate the deployment or like create, a, I don't know, a Travis YAML file to do a little bit of unit testing about this? No, I have no idea what that is. It's, mm. I just do front end. Mm-hmm. It's today, like probably up until five years ago, it would be okay to do it. It would be like, yes, you just front end. It's great. Like separation of concerns and you just do one thing. It's okay. Today in this day and age, it's I don't I don't think it's possible anymore, and it's fine. Yeah, you're gonna be average. Like it took me literally took me twelve years to be good in everything that I do. But up until like 
four or five years ago, I was honestly really average in everything, mm. but it's me. Like I wanted to, I, I was so in love with programming. I was so in love with everything that I wanted to learn everything. I wanted to know everything. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's, the more you do it, the better you will get. And it's a great skill because whenever a new framework comes out, it doesn't matter if it's Laravel framework, it's like a Vue.js framework, or it's like React, or it's like Ruby on Rails. You have your full stack knowledge that can support you and you will understand everything about that. Even Laravel, that it's a PHP framework, so it's mostly backend, is a massive, massive section about frontend with a Laravel mix that it's built on Webpack and can compile everything. So even the creator of PHP framework knows a shit ton about frontend. Mm. And that's what you need to know today. Like you cannot say, you know, I'm just going to do one thing. Mm -hmm. mm, Yeah. The thing that really attracted me was the ability to build your own apps, right? Like I guess if I was only doing frontend or only doing backend, I wouldn't be able to build my own stuff. And that was kind of one of my major reasons for getting into web development. Exactly. If you probably, you can fancy yourself as like a single thing, probably just a front end. If you only want to work in massive, massive corporations, Mm -hmm. like big offices where you have like, I don't know, 45 people in the development team. So really one person just do one thing. But in this day and age with the startups and agile development, you need to wear many hats and you need to do many things. And that's also the thing that will make your resume stand out and you'll make your resume more interesting. Oh, this guy knows also a little bit of AWS, knows Mm -hmm. how to deploy things, even if it just does front end. We're looking for a front-end developer, but also knows a little bit of DevOps. This is really great. It's an, an, an extra thing that can uh, can surpass the competition, which is it's always useful. I will, I, I will never say, not don't learn more stuff. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. not, that's not a good advice. No, I think that was definitely very helpful for me in getting interviews, having mm-hmm. full stack, even if I'm not an expert in any part of it. I think that definitely open some doors yeah because also you can have a conversation with a back-end developer right. or a devops if a devops tells you oh can you uh, like adapt these files in order for the deployment to be better you know what the fuck he's talking about it's not like uh no i just do front end it's like it, you, you you have better communication with the rest of the team because you know the topic a little bit right even if right. you're not an expert yeah yeah um the other thing i was going to ask about I heard this quote by, I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Bjorn Stropstrup or something yeah. like that. The, uh, you guys would know him as the founder of C++ or the creator of C++. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah C++, right. Um, anyways, so he was saying that to be a professional developer, to call yourself a professional developer, you should know at least two languages. And then he said, ideally, a professional developer should be reasonably good at three to seven languages, um, somewhere in that range. Uh, and then beyond that, it would be good if you've toyed around and played around with some other languages. But, you know, you should be competent in, a, you know, at least three languages, he thinks, and two to call yourself professional. Uh, you know, in this day and age, we're talking about how full stack is already so daunting. Mm-hmm. So for me, just learning full stack JavaScript with DevOps and with styling and CSS and all that, it's already a huge undertaking, right? Yeah. So what's your opinion on this, on the idea of learning multiple languages? Of course, I really do want to learn multiple languages, but it's sort of something that I've put off for now because I feel like I'm already stretching myself in a big way. Yeah. So what do you think for a developer in the long term, what's a good number of languages or how do you be strategic about selecting languages? 
Um, I think Bjorn is completely wrong. Like he <laughs> went uh, out of his mind. It's just, that's insane. That's something that you probably had to do 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Just like, okay, I learn net or like an ASP and then I have to learn PHP and then I have to learn COBOL or like Pascal or I have to learn like Visual Basic. And because 20 years ago, PHP was a really finite language. You learn PHP, done. You learn C, done. You mm -hmm. learn C sharp, done. Because it's, it's, a, it's done. Like those languages are complete. Mm -hmm. PHP is still evolving now, but for 10 years, PHP wasn't updated right. in any version. Today, that's a really stupid argument. That doesn't make sense. Today, if you do an HTML, CSS, and JavaScript application, you can call yourself a developer. Oh, it's not, it's not it's, being a developer is not how many languages you know, how, how good you are. It's just like, did you code something from scratch? Even if it's just like tables in HTML, you're an HTML developer. It's fine. <laughs> you developed something, uh -huh. whatever. Um, in terms of like, you should learn more languages, you should switch things, you should learn more stuff. It will come to you. It will happen. Uh, I, I coded my entire life like in php and i use wordpress pretty much my entire life and then i started i i didn't understand like why do i need to learn laravel and then i i switched to laravel that it's a completely different framework but it's still based on php then i wanted to do something more something more extreme with the, the front end so i learned a lot of javascript and now i switched to javascript frameworks like react vue.js angular and all these things and then i got really into uh, linux development mm. so i learned vala and c++ which are like crazy languages that still drive me crazy every <laughs> fucking day but because i'm passionate about it but that didn't happen like okay now i know five languages in total i'm really good in three of them so i can probably call myself a junior developer <laughs> like a barely a developer no took me 15 years yeah. to be good in something and then oh i want to learn something else okay let's learn something else and always you have to always decide what is good for your career path mm -hmm. what is good like if you really love building node.js app why should you learn php or c++ like mm -hmm. those don't make sense at all if you're really into web development don't learn vala don't mm -hmm. learn c sharp those are they're, they're just gonna clutter your mind mm -hmm. You, of course, learning a new language is always good because it gives you really technical, a, a good technical background to learn pretty much everything. And when you keep going, almost all the languages are pretty similar and all the languages can teach you something more. But it's we have a finite amount of time. You cannot, it would be amazing to learn all the languages that you want, but you don't have the time to do that. And like why you, why you started to code, to work and make money. So pick the languages that make more sense for you. And yeah, that, that statement is a really, I, I completely disagree with that <laughs> statement. Like totally, nope. Um, yeah, very interesting. That's, I like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because honestly, that's a, that sounded like quite the task, learning three to seven languages very well, at it's least in crazy. the short term. Right? It's crazy. No. Um, okay, so uh, also if we have time, I was wondering about your opinion on Rust because I was interested, what interests me in Rust is that it's kind of, considered a lower level language, mm -hmm. um, comparable or maybe even potentially a replacement for C++ in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, but at least in Vancouver, when you look at the job advertisements, there's almost no Rust. And funnily enough, because Rust is 
is uh, produced by Mozilla. Yeah. And the only job opening for Rust in Vancouver right now is actually with Mozilla. <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, you know, it's, an, it's a language that interests me, but it seems like at the moment it's not really something that's going to pay the bills for you, at least in Vancouver. So I'm uh, wondering about your opinion on the viability of learning Rust. And also I have heard about Rust being used as a back-end web development language. I don't know. Is that completely really? crazy? Or? Never heard about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Rust is pretty new. I don't know of any companies here in Vancouver that are actually interested in Rust. I know a couple of companies online, like, for example, System76 that make the Pop! OS operating system in Linux. A lot of their front-end the installation service, when you install a new distribution of Linux, it's built on Rust. And I mostly know, like, I never, never coded Rust. I never used it, but I mostly know people use Rust for uh, um, software, like installation of operating systems. I never, I don't know of anyone using Rust for web development, actually. But yeah, it's, it's getting a little bit of hype and there's a lot of movement and it's constantly updated. So I, I guess it's, it's, it's a pretty good language. Uh, but I don't know. I think it's it's a bit early for, uh, yeah, request like requirement of development. It's like, I don't know. It's like Node.js five years ago. Mm, like yeah. it was getting there. A lot of people like, oh, this Node.js is cool, but not many jobs availability. And today, everyone asks for Node.js, right? right? Yeah, who knows? Maybe you're a super genius if you figure out Rust now, and then in five years you'll be like the only expert around. I don't know, but that's also a gamble, right? Well, it's a gamble. <laughs> that's true, and uh, a lot of people did the same with Swift, the, oh, right. the coding yeah. language that uh, Apple released to build iOS apps. And everyone, like, as soon as they released, everyone jumped on board and wanted to learn like uh, Swift to be like the most expert fucking thing ever. But now PWAs, progressive web application, mm -hmm. are the new thing. So. Yeah. Technologies changes so fast that if you if you love it, if you just go for it. I personally I prefer Vala because mm -hmm. it's more similar to PHP. I feel more comfortable and compiles in native C plus mm. plus or C. I don't remember. Uh, I prefer Vala than Rust because like for me it's like it was easier to learn. And Vala is not like there's like zero job offers about Vala, but I learned it because I love it and it gave me a more strict and more like technical background that I probably needed after learning Vala, I found myself coding better in PHP, mm. which is kind of weird, but yeah, it's it's really up to you. But yeah, Rust, I'm, I'm curious to see where it's going to go. Sounds like a good project once the bill payment issue is already resolved and you have a, a full-time day job that's going well, and then maybe you could tinker with these other Oh, languages. definitely. That's, that's what I do like every night. I code stupid things with <laughs> languages that no one wants, right, but right, just right. for fun because yeah. my day job provides and I use the technologies that I love in my day jobs and I keep evolving these technologies. But then going back, if I already know Laravel, like, I don't know, I know 90% of Laravel, I'm not going to spend the last two hours of my brain power to learn the rest of Laravel because mm -hmm. I'm going to use it tomorrow morning at work again. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try to learn something that I, I've never did before just right. because it's exciting. Uh. Uh, my only other question was about uh, WebAssembly. So you hear a lot about WebAssembly and the impact it's supposed to have on web development over the next decade or so. Um, one of the potential impacts that I've seen discussed is that JavaScript will decline in popularity, not totally be replaced or not totally disappear, but because WebAssembly will allow people to, for example, 
use C sharp to code front ends for, for websites. And, you know, JavaScript with the exception of node, it's all about the front end, right? Okay. So do you, do you see a web assembly as a big game changer in the near future, like in the next five years or so? There's a lot of hype, but I've yet to see too many large scale, you know, applications of web assembly, I guess, at least in my own learning so far. I have no idea. And this is like, uh, I never use WebAssembly. I just heard about WebAssembly probably like a month ago. Just mm -hmm. like random people say, oh, you should take a look at WebAssembly. Never yeah. had the time to actually look at it. I don't know, like using lower level languages to code web. Mm. Is that a good thing? Well, I mean, the, I guess the idea is that you're going to be able to make some extremely high-performance apps. Like, for example, you could create a C++ video game yeah. using Unity and run it in the browser, which in the past is just, you know, impossible, right? Yeah, in the past it was like HTML5, OpenGL, right. like really heavy on like computation and again, hogging your RAM and CPU. Right. So I guess the That's idea yeah, is that there would be some extreme cases where this technology could change the way that uh, web browsers are used and actually allow those kind of very computational, computationally demanding programs to run in the browser, right? Yeah, um, definitely that could happen. I don't see it like using it, like being used to actually build websites, but definitely like web application, complex web application or like online games, that would be really, I think that would be a good solution because yes, like with the dead of Flash, with the death of Flash and everyone switching to HTML5, yes, you can build games and 3D games in HTML5, OpenGL, and JavaScript, but are really like high performance, really demanding. And our phones, even if our phones are amazing, they're not comparable to a desktop computer. Mm. So having something built in WebAssembly that can run on the browser and you can play it on your phone without destroying your CPU, definitely there's market for that, but I'm not sure, like I'm not, I never use that, but hmm. yeah, that's interesting. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll find out, but I, I think I heard quite a bit of interest from the, or I've seen quite a bit of interest from say the C sharp community or guys that maybe aren't fans of JavaScript. Yeah. So maybe they're oh, just yeah. sort of, uh, <laughs> because you know, to yeah. them it's like, oh God, we don't have to learn front end JavaScript anymore. Yes, we can just exactly. use our own C sharp to write user interfaces and they get very excited about that. So, yeah. and even, uh, what's the name of the original creator of JavaScript? Brendan, I forget. Darn Anyways, right, he's the yeah. Mozilla guy behind Rust too. Yeah. Uh, but even he has said, Probably because they're, I think uh, Mozilla is the organization that's doing the most for WebAssembly or one of the organizations that's doing the most for WebAssembly. And uh, even he said, and he's the creator of JavaScript, he predicts that it's going to lead to some you know, degree of decrease in use of JavaScript because you're going to be able to use these other languages. He doesn't, he doesn't think it's going to disappear. Yeah. But uh, I guess as a JavaScript guy, it's something to keep your eye on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, terms. I don't think JavaScript is going to disappear. It's going to definitely evolve. Like the, the evolution that JavaScript had in the past few years is like mind blowing. Right. Before ES6, JavaScript was a joke, mm -hmm. like for every developer. Mm -hmm. Like the only valuable thing to use JavaScript in the same way was to use jQuery, which is fucking heavy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but then now with all these frameworks that are just built on JavaScript, you can definitely have like a headless server or like a headless CMS or a serverless website that is like fully wired to a backend or Firebase database just in JavaScript, not touching a single line of PHP, not touching mm -hmm. a single line of whatever other backend language. Everything can be done in JavaScript. You have also, it's, it's, it's unbelievable what JavaScript can do recently. So it's still gonna evolve, but I don't think it will disappear. This 
um, yeah, WebAssembly definitely will give the opportunity to all those like long bearded, really old <laughs> developers that are so stubborn. It's just, no, C Sharp is the only true language. Yeah. And they see JavaScript. Oh, this is stupid. Right. I feel the same. Like, I feel like, okay, coming from PHP on the way around and going to a lower level language, trying to learn C or Vala, it's like, oh my God, this is really strict and all these rules. And as soon as you change something, everything just like your CPU starts leaking <laughs> shit. And it's like, it's really hard. Instead, like web development, even if you code something completely wrong, it works. Right. And it keeps running. Mm -hmm. But with this low-level language, you cannot do that. Or it's perfect, or it doesn't work. That's it. <laughs> it's mm, just like, yeah. or zero or one. It's just a binary thing. Not very forgiving. Yeah, but I see the beauty of that. And I see the, also the beauty of web development. And so I think, I hope everything will evolve at the same time. And mm. we're going to have like more opportunities in more different languages. I, I'm, I don't know. Everyone tries to let's find the best language ever and mm. everyone will learn that and everyone will jump on that and we're just gonna build that but it's not it's not gonna happen mm. especially when we're gonna have quantum com computers all right like, yeah <laughs> how, how are you gonna interface with quantum computers oh there's javascript uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. better get back to to the physics textbook yeah exactly yeah that's it yep all your that's everything yeah that's awesome. So uh, are you as any developer online in some sort of form in uh, like social media, Twitter, Facebook, or do you want to share yeah. your stuff? I'm a complete Luddite. So I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not really big on social media. I have a, I, a GitHub account. Nice. Um, what else do I have? I, yeah, I think that's pretty much, <laughs> I think that's, that's possibly good. the, I have Gmail and GitHub. That's all you need. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, yeah, you should you should you should open Twitter. I'll look. Yeah, I'll think about. It. I I mean, Twitter appeals to me, but I, I, I'm kind of addictive, and I think I'll probably spend all my time on Twitter tweeting angry political tweets or something. I don't know. But. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> like everyone's doing today. It's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah. But it looks very useful, especially for the tech industry, keeping up with some of the big yeah, players. Right? Uh, I just recently followed the creator of uh, Vue.js, Alan oh, yeah. Yu, and yeah. I just I love his tweets, and it's, it keeps coming out with like crazy ideas before releasing like a press release hey i'm gonna uh yeah. release this tomorrow check it out like oh my god yeah <laughs> so yeah it's it's cool to keep in contact with other developers and, yes yeah yeah be be as nerdy as possible i'll probably have to change my stubborn ways at some point well yeah like every addiction that you can find a balance or maybe right. not <laughs> maybe not maybe <laughs> destroying your career on twitter exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's it i don't want to code i need to tweet <laughs> yeah. okay that was a fantastic episode thank you so much for your time thanks for being like so forward in sharing your experience and all the advice that you're like you gave us and hopefully all these advice are going to be like useful for the audience my pleasure i mean it's almost as if that's all i've been doing for the past year so i'm very <laughs> <Pretty> much yeah <laughs> i'm very capable of sharing that yeah it's good to talk about yeah. things that i've been doing this is forever like, yeah this is my therapy session <laughs> that's great we're gonna yeah. do these every week it's fine <laughs> it's totally cool okay if you want you guys you can tweet at nerd continuity or you can uh Leave a comment underneath this podcast on YouTube, and you can find this podcast pretty much everywhere on like iTunes. I'm trying to find a way to submit this podcast on like Spotify or Google Play that are not available in Canada. Which I'm super pissed, and it doesn't even work with a VPN. I'm really, really upset. 
But that was an amazing episode. Let me know if you have any questions. Leave a comment below. Leave a thumbs up or leave a review. Or just if you're angry, just like shout at me. It's fine. It's going to be super awesome. Thank you so much, you guys, for watching. And until the next episode, as usual, happy coding. You can say happy coding if you want. Happy coding. <laughs> With my tone. <laughs>